The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for Wednesday, Cinco de Mayo, 2021, May the 5th, is your old pal Justin Robert Young. You know, we don't do a ton of, like, theme episodes on this program. So, you know, I, I think I'm I'm too... Scatterbrain for that. I'm always focused on a bunch of different things. I want to bring you everything that's in my in my my head, but not only is this a theme episode, every segment that we are putting time into, including our interview, is of one theme, and that is Donald Trump's enemies list. Who does he hate, and how is it affecting? The ballot box over the last weekend in a House special election in Texas, how it is affecting the job security of some of the top Republican leadership in Washington, D.C., speaking specifically of Liz Cheney, and how it is already shaping the campaign trail for a midterm election in Ohio. That will be the subject of our interview coming up a little bit later with Michael Cruz of Politico and Politico Magazine. But before we get into the Trump of it all, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, governor announcements because one of them happened there in Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome back to the stage, Charlie Crist. But today, Florida has a governor that's only focused on his future, not yours. While COVID If you're unfamiliar with the name Charlie Crist, then you're probably not from Florida. He's got a distinguished political history in the Sunshine State, although very little of it has been particularly successful recently. He was the Republican governor post-Jeb, pre-exclamation point. That was from 07 to 2011. He ran for U.S. Senate as an independent uh, when Marco Rubio first ran. That was unsuccessful. Then he switches parties as a Democrat, runs for governor and loses to Rick Scott. He then got in uh, to, to D.C. as a representative, a House representative. But now he's, I mean, I guess a tried and true Democrat. He's going to make his first Democratic run for governor. He announces today with a video online and a event in Tampa. I don't have a lot of particularly uh, uh, positive outlooks. If I'm going to look at my crystal ball, I, I I just think, oh, I didn't even realize Chris. Uh, if I were to look at my crystal ball for Charlie Chris, I, I don't see much success. In fact, I, I will even go so far as to say this, that if Charlie Chris is the Democratic nominee for governor, I think it's a like walk for DeSantis. I I, I think that that's, he would he would prefer he would he would desire to go up DeSantis would against Charlie Chris someone who's already been defined who's looked at as the past and DeSantis can say oh uh, I, I guided us through covid and now I'm charting the future of a a a redder more republican uh 
the you know state of Florida. And then there's the fact that Charlie Crist has lost statewide twice. And I think that that in the times that Charlie Crist lost statewide for Senate and for governor, things were better for Democrats in the state of Florida. The Democratic Party has drifted away from Hispanic voters. If you can't blow out the Republicans in Miami-Dade, then you ain't gonna win statewide if you're a Democrat in Florida. So if the voters already rejected him twice when there were more favorable waters, why would you have any faith in him now? That would be my question. But that is well in the future, the midterms in 2022. Tonight, the fight for the future of the GOP, breaking out the special congressional election in Texas that's happening tomorrow. President Trump is still the leader of the Republican Party. Big lie. President Trump has said since Election Day and January 6th, they, they really shook me. Race to fill an empty congressional seat in North Texas has moved to a runoff after a special election on Saturday. All right, let's talk about Trump. Now, I've said this obliquely before, but let me make this clear. In fact, I'm going to make it a pledge to you. And if I stray from this pledge, then I give all of you permission to write me personally, text me if you have my phone number, or comment in whatever public forum you know that I pay attention to, I will not discuss Donald Trump on this show, a show that is focused on the reality of politics, unless he is affecting an election through money, endorsement, or announcing his own candidacy. That's when I'll do it. Now, just so happens that that stuff is happening now. So there we go. That's out of the way. Let's begin. We saw an early test of how some media narratives are going to play out over the next two to four years this weekend in a little district called Texas Six. Texas 6 is in the southeast of the Dallas Metroplex, specifically around Fort Worth. Until this year, it was a solidly Republican seat held in the House of Representatives by Ron Wright. That was until Ron Wright died of lung cancer and COVID-19 complications. That means his seat is now up for a special election. Before we get into the candidates, let's talk a little bit about Texas 6. It's gotten bluer. So despite the fact that Biden didn't come particularly close in Texas, the 6th District is one of those major city suburbs that has become bluer post-Trump. In 2016, Trump won Texas 6 by 13%. In 2020, it was only 3 And so we come to this snap runoff. Remember, Ron Wright only died in February. We're already at the runoff last weekend. There were over 20 candidates. I'm not going to summarize all of them, but we are going to focus on a few. Here are a few names uh, that didn't really have an impact that I'm going to tell you or just, all right, here. Here's a few names. Don't focus on them all that much. Uh, Jaina Lynn Sanchez. She's a Democrat. For the purposes of this segment, it's all you need to know. We're going to come back to her later. Dan Rodimer, or Redimer. I don't know how to say his name. And to be quite frank with you, I don't think he's a important enough factor in politics that I'm going to learn it. He's a carpetbagger. He failed to run for a seat in Nevada before bailing to file for this seat in Texas. Now, you might have seen him across your online radar because he's often credited by journalists as a WWE professional wrestler. Many long-term listeners will know I love politics. I love professional wrestling. I'd never heard of Dan Rodimer until he started losing these races. Spoiler alert, he lost this one too. What a jabroni. Okay, 
Let's get to the people who kind of really matter on the Republican side. Michael Wood. Michael Wood is a combat veteran who ran in this race uh, with a very post-January 6th pitch. You heard them, heard him in our, in our intro talking about how January 6th struck him to his core. Woods ran as a hardcore, never Trump Republican. All the same Republican talking points, none of the red hat populism, and pointedly, absolutely zero apology or hero worship for Trump. He even got the endorsement of Representative Adam Kinzinger, a Republican who voted to impeach Trump. All right, so there we go. The never Trumper. This is somebody that we've kind of seen exist. But now, post-January 6th, will there be a rise? Will this be a more bankable brand? Keep that in your head. Then there's Jake Elzey, a Republican with a track record in the Texas 6th District. He secured the endorsement of former Governor Rick Perry, who campaigned in person with him. So think of Jake Elzey as somebody who is not going to repudiate Trump. He had governor, former Governor Perry there, who was Trump's energy secretary and one of the few secretaries who actually stayed around for a while. So consider him stock Texas Republican. And finally, there's Susan Wright, the widow of the late congressman who in the waning days before the vote this weekend got a coveted email endorsement from Trump himself. The 45th president dialed into a teletown hall for right as well. Okay, so so those are the Republicans that you're going to want to pay attention to. Michael Wood, the never Trumper, Jake Elsey, the stock Texan Republican, and Susan Wright, the widow of the sitting now dead congressman who got the Trump endorsement. Election rules call for a runoff if no candidate can secure 50% of the vote. And since there's 23 candidates, that was all but assured. So the question is, if a Democrat, specifically Sanchez, we mentioned before, could crack into those top two slots for the runoff, bunch of Republicans running, bunch of Democrats running, can Sanchez, the leading polling vote getter, can she break into the top two? And with all the votes tallied, here were the results. First, I'm going to tell you who didn't win. Rodimer counted the lights. One, two, three, which is actually a higher number than his vote share was, which was 2.7%. Wood, the never Trumper, did slightly better than Rodimer, but none to be proud of. 3.2% for Michael Wood. Which brings us to our leading vote-getters. Susan Wright came in first, riding the Trump train to number one, netting 19.2% of the vote. As of now, Jake Elzey has bumped Democrat Sanchez out of the runoff by a little over 300 votes. So. In our first contested election since January 6th, since Donald Trump is wielding his influence from Mar-a-Lago and we are all trying to gauge exactly how much influence that is, what are our takeaways? Here's my first. Trump still gets the vote out. Like, there, there, there is no doubt about it. Donald Trump is a force to be reckoned with. You can't pretend he's not there. You can't directly oppositionally go against him unless you are very popular. You have to treat him like a major factor in a race where he wants to involve himself, period. Number two, never Trump is not a viable electoral strategy in Texas. Maybe somewhere else but not here. And by never Trump, I I mean Republicans. Like, I I I think you would need a very special seat 
to run as a hardcore January 6th shook me to my very core Republican. Number three, Dan Rodimer doesn't have a single memorable match and sucks at running for office. And finally, number four, the Texas Burbs might be getting bluer, but in low turnout elections, it's red enough to get Republicans into office. And whether it is Susan Wright or it is Elsie, the Trump-backed widow or the stock Texas Republican, that seat in the House is going to be red. Well, let's swing back to D.C. as Trump's enemies list of current sitting politicians has one name bolded at the top. He might hate Mitch McConnell more, but nobody fights back more often than Liz Cheney. Not only is somebody with the last name Cheney a natural enemy for the MAGA movement, which has always been critical of the Bush administration, But Liz also voted to impeach Trump after the January 6th riots and has been unrepentant about that decision since. In February, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy defended Cheney's position in the leadership in the GOP conference as GOP conference chair from an unsuccessful challenge. But her continued Trump criticism has imperiled her leadership recently. Cheney sniped at Trump during a GOP confab in Florida last week and then elbow bumped Joe Biden after his joint address to Congress only a day later. This has led, reportedly, to cooling of GOP donors to donating to the Republican Party until Cheney is shuffled out which means Cheney's going to get the boot out of leadership and it might happen in the next week or so. In fact, as I was writing this, this story literally came across my timeline from the New York Times. McCarthy says Republicans are losing confidence in Cheney hinting at her possible ouster. Quote, McCarthy, I've heard members concerned about her ability to carry out the job as conference chair to carry out the message. We all need to be working as one if we're going to be able to win the majority. Politico also has a story uh, today doing a biography about possible Cheney replacements. Some of the name that names that Punchbowl is hearing uh, includes Elise Stefanik, who became a bit of a star during Trump's impeachment trials. Now, if Cheney is given the heave-ho from conference chair leadership, that would be a huge win for MAGA-friendly politicians who have pushed for Cheney to be punished for not sticking with the team. But it's only going to put the GOP back into the same problem they were in before the January 6th riots. How do you handle the most popular figure in your party who controls a lot of electoral sway and money continually discrediting the methods by which everyone is invested power? namely? free and fair elections. For those of you who haven't been keeping up on Trump's emails, which have replaced his social media presence, that is until, uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you, by the time that this comes out, because we released these episodes on Wednesday at midnight, many of you might already know whether or not Donald Trump has been reinstated his Facebook page. but. Until then, you have the emails, and if he was denied reinstatement of his Facebook page by Facebook's oversight board, then he might only have his emails. Either way, Trump is not convinced he legitimately lost the 2020 election, to put it mildly. Will he ever be able to understand that that loss is in the past? How much of that is a liability for him or others who align with him. 
Because as of now, even in D.C., where Donald Trump does not have nearly the same kind of power that he used to, it seems as if it's only his opponents that are suffering for lining up against him. I want to draw this line very clearly as well after we talked about Michael Wood failing in Texas 6. What I think is the biggest newsworthy nugget out of this is not that Donald Trump is still relevant. It's that the never Trump lane is not nearly as fruitful as some may have hoped that it would be electorally. Put very simply, if you want to hate Trump, join the Democratic Party. The Republican Party's patience for Trump criticism pretty much ends at Mitch McConnell. Let everyone know you hate him and then never talk about him. And when he talks crap about you, you just let it roll off your back and move on. That seems to be the Republican Party's furthest edge of Trump criticism. It's another month. That means that I have some big, big, big thank yous to everybody who has supported us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We always see a churn at the beginning of the month. I very much appreciate everybody who has stuck with us. It is uh, now that I beseech any and all of you to go ahead and get on our $3 club. Head on over to Take Politics Seriously. Sign up at the $3 level. It's there you're going to get a custom RSS feed, or you can just access these episodes through the app. We're talking two bonus episodes every single week. One on Monday, one on Thursday. These are necessary. In fact, uh, look, I I mentioned before about the, the Trump Facebook thing. The place I'm going to talk about that is the the extra is is the PX3 extra because it breaks on Wednesday and I the next episode episode I do is on Thursday with with Biden's speech. My full recap of that that happened hours after it happened happened to fall on an extra day. This is for immediacy. This is for the the, the person who deserves that level of reactions and takes from me, your boy, Justin Robert Young. Been a while since I said it, so I'll say it again here. I am funded by nobody but you. I don't know if y'all have noticed, there aren't ads on here. Might be in the future. But right now, you guys are the reason why this happens. You're the reason why I have a job. You're the reason why I go out there into the, the, the wilderness, even while COVID was raging last year. And I get you the kind of commentary and access that you deserve. I don't believe anyone else on the planet is delivered. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Thank you very much. Just like in Texas, there is another battleground where Donald Trump's ire is sure to land, and it's currently in the suburbs of Cleveland. That House district is the 16th of Ohio, and over the next year, we're going to see a primary challenge in the GOP based almost entirely on one vote. Its current representative made, you guessed it, to impeach Donald Trump after the January 6th riots. Here to discuss all of this is Michael Cruz, a senior staff writer for Politico and Politico magazine. 
Welcome to the show, Michael. Good to be with you, Justin. Uh, I was fascinated by an article that you wrote in Politico magazine about a Ohio house race in the midterms uh, that is is going to serve as a proxy war for something that we don't know whether or not is going to be taken seriously if it is going to be a force. And that is Donald Trump's enemies list. Can you can you run us through the basics of this contest? Definitely. So this is Ohio's 16th district. It is the western suburbs of Cleveland running south into suburbs and exurbs of not only Cleveland, but some of uh, some slices of, of those areas of Akron and Canton as well into Ohio farm country, really. And, and, and the reason it is interesting right now heading into the 22 cycle is that Donald Trump has has made this in some sense a first front in his congressional uh, battle to keep and increase uh, his control over the Republican Party. He has a handpicked candidate uh, that is, in some sense, a heat-seeking missile to try to take out the incumbent Republican congressman there, Anthony Gonzalez. And Congressman Gonzalez has drawn the ire of former President Trump because he is one, was one of the 10 Republican House members who voted for his impeachment the second time. And Max Miller is not just an endorsed candidate. Uh, Former President Trump has been endorsing a variety of people, although Max is the first specifically a House candidate to get that endorsement. But Max Miller was a campaign aide in 2016, a deputy campaign manager in 2020, and was a White House aide as well. So he is uh, a known entity, uh, a, a person that, uh, from from based on my reporting, uh, the former president likes, and so he is 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 this uh, is this emissary who's been dispatched to go back home because he is from the Cleveland area and take out or try to take out. Anthony Gonzalez. And the question, of course, will be, can he do it? Is this uh, is he the person to do that? And is this the place uh, to have a person like that do that? And it will tell us something uh, about the uh, ongoing sway or lack thereof of the 45th president. When I think about the advantages that a Trump picked candidate would have, it would be one side cultural wherein whatever Donald Trump has tapped into, you can now borrow from. And another part, money, uh, and maybe another part, influence in terms of media and stuff like that. Uh, We don't know what the influence is going to be by the time that these races roll around, uh, you know, into the fall next year. But you certainly in this piece captured some of the cultural gestalt that Max Miller is seemingly trying to take on here and specifically against Anthony Gonzalez. Uh, uh, how could you describe to our listeners the the anger from Trump nation at people that seemingly betrayed the 45th president of the United States in their view? Well, certainly there's a segment of the Trump electorate in the 16th district of Ohio, as is the case in many places around the country. There's a segment of that electorate that is simpatico with the former president, out for revenge. Anybody who is considered uh, an impeachment apostate, really, is is on the block. It doesn't really matter what else Anthony Gonzalez has done or not done, said or not done in the time he's been in Congress since he won in 2018. What matters is that he voted against Donald Trump in the second impeachment. And so Max Miller is the guy who is supposed to take him out. Something interesting that I felt on the ground in my reporting and didn't quite know until I got there was the in and out engagement with a 22 Republican primary, even within uh, a certain subset of that Republican electorate that is engaged enough to go to political events. For instance, I was at a local Republican club gathering in a place called Strongsville, 
uh, half an hour or so south of Cleveland. And, and there were some people I talked to who needed to be sort of walked through the specifics of this Republican primary of now, who's Max Miller? What did Dallas <laughs> do? Is there anybody else involved? How does this relate to the Senate race? I mean, there's a lot going on in Ohio right now. And uh, even people who are engaged enough to go to a thing like that needed some help. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them needed some help from me uh, to talk about this. So it remains to be seen how important this is going to be, be uh, as we as we move into the rest of the year and then definitely into next year and into the spring and into the primary. But certainly the 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 the, the officials, uh, the GOP officials on the ground there, want to make sure that uh, the people know, that their people know that Trump is backing Max Miller and he's the Trump candidate and Anthony Gonzalez needs to be punished uh, even uh, a year plus from now. The other thing that's interesting about this race that, that I, I feel like I should add before going too much uh, deeper into this conversation is that this district will not be the same. Uh, we just saw the other yeah. day since this story ran, since the story published, it's certainly reflected in the story, but since the story published, it became official, the expected development that Ohio is losing one of its 16 congressional seats. So there will be 15 districts in Ohio, uh, almost certainly in the 22 cycle and will be reflected in this, in this, in this primary and how that will be redrawn, what the, what the Anthony Gonzalez district will look like, whether or not we can even call it anymore, really the Anthony Gonzalez district, again, depending on that redraw, that will have something to say about how, uh, how viable Max Miller is as a candidate or for that matter, how viable Anthony Gonzalez is as a candidate. So it'd be really interesting to see how that plays out over these coming months and into 22 and how, how that affects um, uh, the success on the other side of this, of, of Trump's efforts here. Just to give listeners a sense of where this district tilts. Again, we were talking about the Ohio 16th district. It is a Cook uh, Republican plus 10 uh, voted for Donald Trump twice, 56% to 40% over Hillary Clinton and 57% to Joe Biden is 42% in 2020. So a slightly narrowing uh, trajectory for Trump between the two elections, but but still fairly solidly in the red. The, the yeah. question is whether or not there is more of the appetite for, uh, you know, Joe Biden won the 2020 election on the suburbs and specifically white voters in the suburbs. While this does tilt more toward uh, uh, the Republican side and Donald Trump in both presidential elections, whether or not there is a trend that uh, maybe Trump kind of went too far and January 6th was the icing on the cake for that. Or, uh, and this is, I guess, here's my next question for you, Michael. Is it fascinating that we're even giving a rat's ass about a race like this this early? You know, when when you, you go to a, a Republican gathering and people need to be explained why it is, like, it is no doubt fascinating to me and I'm very excited to talk to you about uh, it, but mm. aside from nerds, when do we ever care about something like the Ohio 16th, a year and a half out from a midterm election? Well, normal people, even now, with politics more front and center in American life, yeah. even now, midterms are always uh, less involved. People are less engaged than presidential years. And then primaries within those midterms, yet again, you sort of a slice of a slice yeah. of it, for better or for worse. I mean, I wish people were, you know, sort of ongoing engaged because these elections are no less important in a very real sense than, than presidentials. But nonetheless, here we are where, whether you like it or not, the question of Donald Trump's influence, yeah. the extent of it, the, 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 the endurance of it is a super important piece of the political puzzle these next two to four years, effective immediately. And whether or not people or how many people are paying attention to a Republican primary in a changing suburban, exurban, rural district in Ohio, whether they whether or not they are paying attention, it is very, very important. And if Anthony Gonzalez can fend off a primary challenge from somebody like Max 
Miller, who is really sort of tailor-made to be a loyalist, to be an emissary, to be a, a, a tool with, with, with which Trump attempts to extend that long tail of his influence, whether it, if Anthony Gonzalez can fend that off, well, that says something. That will tell us something about the power of Trump, the political power of the former president heading into these midterms in 2022, hugely important, and heading into, of course, the 2024 presidential election, hugely important. You're paying attention to it. Yeah. I'm paying attention to it because I work for a place called Politico. Yes. But it really is something that that uh, even less engaged citizens should be paying attention to because it's not unimportant and it's not unimportant already. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. And, and the big reason why is that for anybody that finds it baffling that there are Republican politicians that are still – uh, uh, that you might assume would have ditched Trump by now or wanted to put a one-term president in the rearview mirror, and yet they haven't. All you need to do is look at a race like this because they are going to wait and see whether or not Donald Trump's emails when he's not complaining about rebranding the Oscars and his fundraising prowess are something that will continue to move the needle. Uh, because if, if he is able to just list out everybody that voted against him and then he picks them off one by one, like the bride and kill bill, that is something that no sitting Republican politician is going to want to have to deal with. And you will see that more fealty will be paid for uh, paid, paid to Trump. Right. I mean, look, this is an open question. This is a question that does not yet have an answer. Yeah. There are answers along the way. We can read tea leaves. We can use the data that does come up. Really, we will have our first real answer a year from now, November, November 22. But, but even before that, these primaries will tell us something. And there are special elections around the country uh, as well, Louisiana, Texas, et cetera, that are uh, giving little previews. I mean, this, isn't, this is an ongoing thing. But certainly, this Republican primary in Ohio's 16th district is – Singular in the sense that Max Miller, to this point, is the only endorsed congressional primary challenger in America. By all accounts, according to my reporting, reporting, he will not be the last. But at this point, he is the only person on the entire map who's been endorsed for a race like this by Donald Trump. So he is worth watching. He's worth watching because of that, and he's worth watching because of some specifics about him and about that district as is currently drawn. But even if it's when, if and when it is redrawn, it will still be worth watching. He has to win against Anthony Gonzalez because if he doesn't, that is a loss on the ledger of former President Donald Trump. So let's get into the race specifically a little bit here Uh, uh, with Gonzalez. While he does not have he will he will have Trump's ire. uh, Does he have advantages? Is is there an element of being an establishment Republican politician that he's going to have over Max Miller? He certainly has some advantages. The first advantage is incumbency. That's a big yes. deal. <laughs> the political inertia matters. He's been there. He was elected in 2018. And broad strokes, he's been a useful and conventional Republican member of Congress. He voted on the Trump line more than 85% of the time so far. In those two years when Trump was president, he was a member of Congress. So it's not like he's been resolutely anti-Trump, far from it. He's also... He brings to the to any race uh, now, just as he brought to his initial races, uh, a biography that certainly was very compelling to Republican voters there and elsewhere, and continues to be in many ways very compelling. He was a football star at Ohio State. He was drafted in the first round by the NFL's Indianapolis Colts. He is a Cuban-American pro-business Republican. He has an MBA from Stanford. I mean, if you created pre-Trump, if you put (laughs) Trump aside, if you created uh, 
uh, a, a, a Republican congressional candidate in some sort of lab, you might come up with Anthony Gonzalez. So yeah, that 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 that, that 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 does seem a lot like post Mitt Romney loss GOP blueprint. Like we need to find these kinds of candidates and elevate them. For sure, there is a mixture of of, of traits and of uh, lines on a resume and of uh, uh, bio specifics that, again, in a normal world in a normal Republican world would make Anthony Gonzalez and did make Anthony Gonzalez an incredibly attractive one to watch within GOP circles. It also should be noted that to this point, we will see how this plays out, but to this point, he's not losing the money war. Max Miller just started he declared his candidacy in late February, so it's not a totally fair fight in terms of first quarter numbers. But Anthony Gonzalez outraised Max Miller in the first quarter of this year. We will see what those second quarter numbers yeah. uh, show. But to this point, uh, it's not like Max Miller has come in and just blown Anthony Gonzalez out of the fundraising water. So it's a fight. It is a fight, and it's going to come down to those Republicans, those registered Republicans in the new Ohio district where this is happening, whatever that looks like. And to get back to the sort of redistricting question and the suburban exurban question, if the redraw makes this district more suburban and less rural, you think that would be uh, a a move in the direction of the favor of Anthony Gonzalez, because yeah. even within a Republican electorate, we are just talking about the, we're not talking about sort of viability in a general, which is an interesting, interesting thing to sort of play out in a hypothetical scenario, depending on who, who comes through this primary, but within it, within the, even within the Republican electorate, a more suburban Republican electorate, Based on what we saw in 18 and yeah. in 20, it would seem to suggest that Anthony Gonzalez has a better chance of fending off this challenge from Max Miller. Again, we'll have to see how this how this redraw redraw goes. I just don't know, but it's yeah. something very much worth watching because it's something very much uh, that is going to affect how this race goes. The Ohio redraw is totally controlled by Republicans, right? Uh, they, they they have control in Ohio, if I if I remember correctly. We have the control in Ohio. In it's not totally controlled by Republicans, and and actually, there's there's been some some real movement toward uh, at least nominal bipartisanship. Again, we will see okay. what happens on that front. We'll but, see. Yeah, um, you know, depending on who you listen to, but certainly, I had many conversations in the reporting of this story, trying to figure out how this might go. Nobody knows for sure. But I, I, I feel fairly confident saying that if they do what they're supposed to do in this redraw, I mean, right now, Ohio is 12 to four Republican seats versus Democratic seats, right? And that will not be that lopsided on the flip side of this redraw. And there'll be one less, right? So are we talking eight, seven? Are we talking nine, six? I don't know, but, and also you need candidates to win, right? But it, yeah. But generally speaking, the agreed upon process here will make the Ohio congressional map less gerrymandered. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition, but if that happens, that certainly will influence one way or another how this how this district behaves. So just by eliminating a seat, things are going to have to just get a little bit more homogenous no matter what. Probably. You know, okay. we'll, 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 we'll see, see what that map looks like. But because um, Ohio's Ohio's got some silly districts. Like that 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 Jim Jordan district is a real silly draw. <laughs> well there's a just to even have the the four sort of quote D districts, you have one that basically just stretches from Toledo through Cleveland on the shore of Lake Erie um, to, <laughs> to create, to, to give Democrats a district. I mean, it is, it is one of the, 
there are many, many weird congressional districts all over the country. That is that is near the top of the list, though the the, the Castor District in Ohio. And uh, you know, I, I think I totally agree with you. Uh, the, the place where the Never Trumpers live are going to be more suburban than rural. But let's swing over to the Max Miller thing because. He he's not just a dude totally off the couch. He does have a a resume that looks like somebody who would be running for his first congressional seat, right? It's an attractive resume to a certain sort of Republican primary voter. Um, he is a Marine reservist. Was a Marine reservist. There's that bio bit that is attractive. He was very early on involved with the Trump political ascension, um, yeah, an aide in the 2016 campaign, uh, parlayed that into roles throughout the former president's four years in the White House, had a somewhat fancy sounding title in the 2020 <laughs> effort. Um, you know, if if you if you just look at sort of the first two, three, four sentences of his bio, and you are a Trump supporting voter around the Cleveland area that will be voting in this primary, he is an extremely attractive candidate. Dig a little deeper, and he certainly has some liabilities. There is an arrest record there. It granted is from a while ago from his late teens, how much that matters to Republican voters, Trump supporting or not, I suppose we'll see. Um, He also, interestingly, not something I was expecting heading into this reporting, just because I clearly didn't know sort of the the intricacies of of intra-Cleveland rivalries well enough, but he is (laughs) from the other side of Cleveland. Uh, He's from the suburbs of the east side of Cleveland as opposed to the west side of Cleveland. And according to many Republicans and Democrats alike, that matters a lot and might matter in terms of who votes for him versus who votes for Anthony Gonzalez, because Anthony Gonzalez is from the west suburbs and and um, his entire life other than Stanford and San Francisco uh, startup work as has made his home on the on the west side of Cleveland and this is a district again to this point that starts over there and, and runs south uh, Max Miller now lives in the west side of district actually in the same relatively affluent suburb of Rocky River that Anthony Gonzalez lives in but moved there. Uh, after coming back from D.C. from from uh, more of the Shaker Heights area, which is the east side of affluent Cleveland. And so how that plays out, who knows? But uh, he, he, Max Miller is an interesting and compelling, but also not uh, slam dunk candidate um, within the local specifics of this race. And, and it's something interesting to consider every time you go around the country and really dig into these these congressional uh, races and congressional primaries. I mean, very local, very hyper-local specific concerns matter in a way that is sometimes hard to detect before you actually start making phone calls and uh, show up on the ground in those places. And this might be one of those, one of those cases. We'll just have to see. Uh, a question that that I, I don't know if you uh, have the answer to, but uh, is the primary for the open Senate seat the same day as the primary for this House seat? The Republican primary? Yes, I mean, the primary The primary will be the same day uh, unless gotcha. something changes on the front. Uh, so, so, I mean, there is, that, there is the, the Senate primary in Ohio is, is, a, is a is very watched already. Uh, I mean, at yeah. least if you, you are a Politico, if you are a Politico reader. So, uh, that I think, actually, um, not to jump in front of what I think might have been your question, but go ahead. That, that I, might, I think you got it. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is this is something that people are going to be paying attention to and already are paying attention to. I mean, some of my conversations on the ground in that district when I was there for the story is this the Senate seat? You know, the Senate seat is sort of, I think, a little bit hotter right now than even this Ohio 16. Part part partly just because that's that that's the the Senate seat that's statewide, it just always sort of registers higher than a congressional race. But that is going to have lots of attention, not just in Ohio, nationally, the Ohio 
Senate seat. So those two things together, I think, um, will certainly some of that some of that spotlights that Senate spotlight will uh, kick some glare over to the Gonzalez Miller race as well. Yeah, and that that's what I'm kind of interested in because there's going to be a lot of money into that primary and then that general. You know, you've got Peter Thiel's handpicked uh, candidate J.D. Vance that's already kind of cut himself a fairly large media shadow, uh, and and he's got two or three other. You know, he he is amongst a cluster of two or three other fairly well funded candidates that I I really wonder whether or not an insurgent push there is something that would benefit somebody like Max Miller and and really even how Trump fits in there. I would imagine that he'll be going to do rallies uh, when uh, the, 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 it is the time for choosing. But I, I, I wonder how much one will affect the other. Certainly could one way or another. I think it will. And to your point about the former president's willingness to travel uh, to do a rally, I think very easily, more easily, I could see him doing sort of a two for one rather than just going in for Max Miller, although certainly he oh, might yeah. have done that. But if he can go in and and, and uh, do a, a two for one rally in Ohio, he certainly might. Interestingly, he has not uh, made his endorsement in that Ohio Senate race. And, you know, we'll see uh, when he I mean, sure he will. The question is when. And, uh, you know, th- those will be his two people. I mean, Ohio is an interesting, um, uh, interesting place overall. I mean, it is less a purple state than it has been in. Yeah. I mean, arguably the, in a century. Right. I mean, it's more and uh, it's more red than it is purple at this point. Uh, certainly Trump made that happen over the last two presidential elections, but there are still pockets. It's still up for grabs. You still have to win it. You still have to fight for it. It's still sort of a microcosm of America, political and otherwise. And so, you know, if you are Republicans, uh, even Republicans grappling with this uh, post-Trump presidency influence, uh, it is not a place that I think you can totally take for granted. Uh, you still have to fight for it. You still have to win it. And and you'll see that playing out in the Senate race, and you'll see it playing out in this congressional race as well. Well, it certainly is a race to watch, and I would encourage everybody to go uh, again, read Michael's work here in Politico Magazine, because it is exceptional. Why is Trump going to war here is the name of the article. Uh, Michael, where can people find you online? Uh, Politico.com. My work appears uh, in the magazine.com backslash magazine, or uh, just go uh, straight to uh, me on Twitter. Twitter backslash Michael Cruz, K-R-U-S-E. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. We've had a lot of friends on uh, the show recently. Uh, I finally kind of hit equilibrium here in in Austin, and I'm I'm getting back into the guest groove. We got a bunch of great guests coming up. Uh, But a reminder, especially when you hear new voices on here, if you enjoy them, then I can't tell you enough how much of a difference it makes for you to head on over to px3guest.com That'll link you right to their Twitter and just let them know that you enjoyed them coming on the show. It really means a lot uh, to the reputation of this program that uh, we uh, uh, reach out and let people know that they can feel the love. Hey, uh, uh, one last thing before we get out of here that has nothing to do with President Trump, and that is Caitlyn Jenner's first political ad. Yep, Charlie, Chris, and Caitlin both releasing initial gubernatorial commercials on the same day. The message is very postpartisan. Uh, if uh, you you watch it carefully, uh, she talks a lot about career politicians, not a lot about Democrats. 
I still think that uh, uh, she is is more of a celebrity than a candidate, if, 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 if you catch my drift. But she did wade into the uh, trans athletics controversy. She is tailor-made for that particular issue, obviously, being an Olympian, a famous uh, uh, Olympian that has since transitioned. But uh, it's, 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 it's a well-made ad. I don't know what it means. If you want to email me what you think it means, well, then you can. The Young American at gmail.com will read your mailbag editions uh, uh, in the Friday episode. You can hit me up on Twitter at px3tweets. Twitch, uh, where we broadcast on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays is at px3live. Our newsletter is px3newsletter.com, and our podcast is px3podcast.com. You can find, and guys, I'm loving the pictures of COVID shots equals body shots. Loving the pictures that you guys are sending me of those. Keep it coming. Keep buying those COVID-19 uh, 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 this summer is too important. Our recovery summer. COVID shots equals body shots. Politics merch.com. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so via a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash pay jury. Our Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Let's go ahead and take a look at our Venmo buccaneers. A reminder that Venmo dollars aren't real. You know, y- 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 y'all might have heard a rumor that uh, 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 Venmo uh, dollars were real. They're not. They're absolutely not. Uh, uh, thank you to David. Chucked me 25 bucks. But as far as a dollar, man, Chris gave me a dollar. Walter gave me a dollar. Thomas gave me a dollar. Joel gave me 10. What a prince. Cash app is PX3 cash. Uh, checks. If you want to send me a physical check or if you want to send me anything else uh, uh, in the P.O. Box, it is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. And I want to thank Marty, Karen, and two-year-old artist James for sending me and my wife a welcome to Texas card and a crisp one dollar bill it was just adorable man james just scribbled all over the front of this card uh i i we we put it up on our on our on our refrigerator too adorable again send me anything you want p.o box 15 31 84 austin texas 78715 and of course, the only way that you get your bonus content of PX3 is by heading over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you're on the $3 tier, you get two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we missed during our free schedule. In case you are as bad at math as I am, that adds up to 104 bonus podcasts over the course of a year. But it's at the $10 tier that you get your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks on the Titanic $10 tier. Including Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy, Mac, Zombie, Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle. The Gen, Middle-Aged Mike, Cujo, Dotcom Junkie, Calamity Zap, D-Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, and Neil III, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah Jimmy Montana, Appraisers Are Awesome, Snuffies, Off Route 44. Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Just Another Pilot, Frozen Summers, J-Pink, and Andrew. Again, you want to get on their level, you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Of course, anybody over the $3 level also gets all the bonus content, in case that wasn't clear. And that'll bring us to the end of this particular 
episode of the show. Thank you to everybody who has listened and supported Friday's episode of the show. We'll see the return of Bill Share. We're going to talk gerrymandering. Does reapportionment mean that the Demits, that the Demits, Demit, that the Democrats are going to get screwed out of seats by way of GOP gerrymandering? Well, you're going to find out Bill's opinion just a little bit later this week. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying. Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more, they talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.